Welcome, everybody, to the Andrew Cooperwriter Show. Of course, I'm your host, Andrew Cooperwriter, and today we'll be comparing the platforms of both Bashir and Cameron. Then we'll cover the AI company behind the JCPS bus debacle, which has quite a storied history of failure, which only points, of course, to more incompetence on JCPS's fault. And then finally, McConnell's Safer Communities Act uh, that that he got passed there in the Senate has been disastrous on several key school programs in Kentucky. We'll be covering that uh, on today's show and so much more. But before we get into it, please make sure you like, comment, share, subscribe. If you are listening to this on the podcasting platform, please make sure you leave a review. And as always, please tell others about the podcast, spread the word, let people know, because I think it's incredibly important uh, to make sure we're getting as much information as we can about the politics that is going on right in our own backyard. But jumping into it, let's talk about the platforms of Bashir and Cameron. Now, recently, both Bashir and Cameron have unveiled their educational plan. Now, Cameron's catch-up plan, I covered it yesterday, mainly deals with starting the base pay of teachers, spending more money on tutoring and summer school, and then also as well, bringing discipline back into the classroom. Bashir unveiled, uh, almost a day later, a educational plan of his that promises a 11% raise across the board and 100% of the transportation funding. What is funny about the Bashir plan is it doesn't really matter what his plan is. You see, what Bashir's talking about is 11% raise and 100% transportation funding and having funds earmarked for that. Because remember, as I covered uh, this week, the legislature has been appropriating uh, pots of money that then the schools can spend how they wish. What Bashir wants is an earmarked 11% raise and 100% of transportation funding. But it doesn't matter what Bashir wants because Bashir has no control over the purse strings. Bashir coming out with this plan is like me coming out with a plan of how you're going to run your household. It doesn't matter. Your His opinion honestly doesn't matter. And when we're comparing those two plans, it's really like, here's what Cameron will do if elected. And then that's it. Because it doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. Bashir's financial plan is irrelevant. He is irrelevant when it comes to how the money is spilled, but that hasn't, of course, uh, stopped the media from pushing this out there. Now, of course, people uh, and Democrats are already calling on Cameron um, because he was making any plan at all. So they're calling him out because he'd make any plan on uh, education. And uh, they're telling him that he's trying to buy back the teacher votes, the teacher praises. In fact, the Herald Leader opinion writer Linda Blackford wrote an article uh, and called the uh, what Cameron is doing like an abusive relationship. Basically that Cameron and other Republicans have been calling teachers, groomers, and pedophiles, and now he's trying to buy back. Of course, that is ridiculous. If anything, he's trying to buy back what Bevin said about teachers specifically. Uh, as far as the groomers and pedophile comments, Linda Blackford is just showing how out of touch she is with educators that don't live in a far left liberal city. Because 
when you go out and talk to the vast majority of educators in Kentucky, they are very uncomfortable with how far left their profession has come. And they understand there's a difference between going after the administration and the far left policies they're pushing. And of course the, the liberal agenda and calling teachers groomers and pedophiles. Well, if you're a teacher who wants to teach young children about homosexuality, uh, at a very young age and you, you are obsessed with doing that, or you're a kindergarten teacher, like the one we played for you, um, I believe earlier this week or last week down in Florida, who was really, really upset that he couldn't tell his kindergartners about his gay dates. Uh, well, maybe you are a groomer and a pedophile, and that's not name calling. That's just what you are. Um, accept it and fix yourself or continue to live a decrepit and horrible lifestyle. But putting that to the side, uh, that is what we see the Democrats doing. Of course, they're going to call Cameron's plan awful because the fact of the matter is, is that if Cameron says he's going to get teachers raises, Cameron can actually get the teachers raises. Bashir can't. But I asked, what are their actual platforms? I mean, we've heard Cameron say he's against the social war stuff like critical race theory, like the gender ideology push and, and those types of items. But we haven't heard any exact concrete actions is he going to take? And that's a reasonable question to ask, especially when you consider the, our Republican massive majority that we have in our state legislature put in place a legislative committee called the Commission on Race and Equal Opportunity. You see, during the Black Lives Matter giant pushes when they are marching in the streets and everything else, some Republicans put their fingers to the wind and thought this provided them now an opportunity to go ahead and get some more of the minority vote or, or whatever they're politically thinking. And so they hopped onto the train and that's what led to the creation of a statutory committee here in Kentucky that was passed by Republicans that is called the Commission on Race and Access to Equal Opportunity. On top of that, many Republicans stood with Bashir and provided him cover when he was illegally tearing down the Jefferson Davis statue. You see, he reached out and he, and he started to tear that, that process of tearing it down before he'd gotten proper clearance because he just decided he wanted to do that. And then several so-called conservatives came out and provided the cover for him to be able to remove that, even though he had already been breaking the law to do so. And of course, the promise was that this statue would go up in a museum somewhere or something along those lines. And that's not what's happened. That statue is just in storage somewhere. They say they're not destroying history, but that is what they're doing. But many Republicans stood with Bashir on that issue. In fact, uh, we've seen Republicans, especially establishment Republicans, are very waffling on this. So to ask for concrete issues, concrete reasons, what you're going to do seems very reasonable. We know that Bashir thinks that all these are things, critical race theory, the gender ideologies, all those things are just conservative talking points. And he has certainly campaigned on, well, how he can give more and more of our money to private companies. That is what Bashir has mainly campaigned on. He's pointed at his economic successes, which comprise of stealing millions of our dollars and giving it to a private company. And quite frankly, we haven't heard Cameron say anything about that because honestly, the GOP clearly agrees with it on him because, as I said, it doesn't matter what Bashir wants to spend money on. The GOP or the Republicans in the legislature decide that. And they voted almost unanimously to give hundreds of millions of dollars away to these private companies. So I wanted to take an actual look 
at their platforms because quite frankly, I hear a lot of words, but I'm not hearing a whole lot of exact actions. I, the Cameron catch up plan really gave, he gave out some exact actions. He's going to take what he wants to put in place. So I said, well, what about all the other things? Maybe, maybe what can we save money on? What can we do this or that? And then I also want to see what is Andy exactly running on. So I went on their websites because of course that's the number one place where I should be able to find it. If I want to find out what will physically Cameron do in office, what exact policies will he pass in office or what policies will Andy Bashir put in place in office if he's reelected? What will he do differently? What will he change? What will he continue? And so I went on their websites to find out. And so when I went on Andy Bashir's website, this is his top uh, uh, screen there. And what you see is this is Andy Bashir for Kentucky logo. It says, meet Andy, meet Jacqueline, store, volunteer, and donate. Now, nowhere in that bar do you find anywhere that says issues, um, platform, uh, policies, nothing at all. But what you do find when you hit meet Andy is you do find something that may look like some sort of policy statement. Here's one of those things. Governor Bashir's positioning Kentucky to emerge from the pandemic even stronger. Under his leadership, Kentucky's economy is on fire. Governor Bashir has helped create tens of thousands of new jobs with more than $24 billion invested in Kentucky from private companies since he took office. He's also rebuilding infrastructure all over the state, making our roads safer, and accelerating the Mountain Parkway expansion in eastern Kentucky. It's been incredible to see these kinds of investments pouring into Kentucky. Every job created is another family who can get ahead. These jobs mean being able to make the mortgage or rent, put a little into savings, and plan for kids to go to college or get job training. It's a long-term difference maker for our communities. Once again, ignoring the fact that unemployment's at an all-time low and these people are trading jobs, they're not creating jobs, but ignoring that, that is one of Bashir's first things. He's once again talks about all the money that other people have spent that he likes to put his name on, money private companies have spent, money that you, the taxpayer, spent, money that's been appropriated for projects by our legislature that he can throw his, his victories on, put his hat on. When you scroll down, you get to his next point. Governor Andy Bashir continues to steer Kentucky through a global pandemic, focusing on keeping our people safe and saving lives, rebuilding our economy in every corner of the Commonwealth and protecting our most vulnerable. His early and aggressive actions during the COVID-19 pandemic helped save lives by putting people over politics and following science and the advice of our public health professionals. I ran for governor to do right by our neighbors. During COVID, there's been standing up to misinformation and politics as usual. I've done the right thing even when it was unpopular. So, of course, he's saying, hey, a little bit of defense of his, his COVID handlings. Of course, everybody knows how he's handled COVID. If you feel real strongly on that, you're definitely not voting for him. And if you feel real strongly uh, uh, for it, you're probably voting for him. Otherwise, you maybe don't care or forgotten. But anyway, so you scroll down his website and you get to uh, another one here. This last one here, uh, Governor Bashir's protected access to health care for more than 100,000 Kentuckians and has relaunched KY NECT, the state-based health insurance exchange, which will soon begin enrolling Kentuckians for coverage. He's And he's expanding voting rights, including to more than 180,000 Kentuckians with a felony conviction. I've always said that it is my job to look out for the lost and lonely and the left behind. This means ensuring there are people can access quality health care, that are most vulnerable, have a voice at the ballot box, and Kentucky is a welcoming and inclusive place for everyone. 
So you see that he's, he's so he's made a statement on healthcare. He wants to, he supports healthcare for all, making it affordable. And then he pointed at something that he did. He supports spending more of our money to private companies. And then he supports what he did during COVID. And that's it. That's all you find on the Bashir campaign as far as actual uh, platform go. If you think I'm lying, go look at the website yourself. Uh, what you will find is it's not there. At least you think that Cameron's website might be better. You would be actually sorely mistaken. Here's Cameron's top of the website. Um, you can't really see it because somebody in his team has decided to do uh, a white to blue fade without considering the fact that the words at the top are uh, white. And so you can't see where it says meet Daniel, um, which, you know, maybe somebody should relook at his website. But anyways, you can't see where it says meet Daniel, meet Robbie, meet McKenzie, news store, join us, donate. That's the top. Nowhere does it say platform. What's worse is, is when I go into Meet Daniel, the place where I hope to find, like I found in Meet Andy, I found some things, hope I could find something. This was all I could find that actually talks about what he would do as governor. It's the only time he actually says these words. As governor, Daniel will fight hard to protect law enforcement. A Cameron administration means that victims, not criminals, get our priority. Daniel was honored to be endorsed by his 2019 campaign for attorney general by the Kentucky Fraternal Order of Police. So nothing on there of any kind of platform at all. Maybe in debates, if they start to debate, we might be able to compare and contrast on things that actually swings voters that people actually care about. You see, Bashir's handling of COVID is why I will personally never vote for him. And it's maybe a lot of reasons why people will never vote for him. But if you want to win over people to vote for Cameron... Well, that's not enough because it's, you can't just, there's a lot of people that maybe don't care about COVID, forgotten about COVID. And then also it's about turning those people out. There's very few people like me and maybe like you listening who remembers what Andy did during COVID and how horrific it is and how unimaginable it is. And even more so, it's harder to get those same people to turn out to vote, feel motivated by, or feel that that's a good enough reason to vote for Cameron. But once again, we're not addressing these voters in the middle. Maybe they don't care about COVID. So what are you going to do to get them to vote for Cameron? What are you going to do to push them out? You have to give them a reason. And when I point this out, when I say, look, we need a reason to vote for Cameron, the number one thing I'm told is, well, at least he isn't Bashir. That isn't good enough. It's not good enough for uh, an election that's going to be super close. It's not good enough for independents and swing voters. That is not good enough when you're running against a governor who does enjoy high approval ratings because most people have forgotten how much he hates you and how much he hates your freedoms and liberties. And so simply saying he isn't Bashir does not work. But yet, that is what you're told. And if you question anything about this, if you at all voice to some of your more party-line conservatives and say, look, I am concerned over the messaging coming out of the Cameron campaign because it is lacking any kind of solid motion. I can't, outside of COVID and outside of a proclaimed thing on social issues, I can't tell people on how he's different. 
And that can actually be a big problem because if you're somebody who maybe you want to feel inspired to turn out, well, the social issues, you once again, you may be intelligent enough to look at the actions of Republicans, some Republicans on these social issues, and say it's at least half-hearted sometimes and be suspicious of certain Republicans. You look at their actions, like I said, on CRT and certainly be suspicious. And you can look at that and say, well, geez, if I have Daniel Cameron and he has the same massive spending policies as Andy Bashir, well, that means the legislature now will just sign off on it. And maybe I'm a fiscal conservative. Maybe I don't want to see this massive more and more spending. Well, the only way I get to fight it is by pitting the two against each other, Democrats versus Republicans. That is something that people are thinking. You can hate me for voicing it. I'm not saying it's my opinion. I'm just being honest to those who care about this race to understand what they're up against because I'm seeing a lot of laissez-faire action that doesn't tell me they're taking it serious and it doesn't tell me that they think this is going to be a close race. Because if you're looking at a close race, well, he isn't, Bashir doesn't get it done. I mean, look, let me give you some examples of what I'm talking about. Okay. And this is just my humble opinion. If the race is going to be close, it is my opinion that Cameron has got to start giving concrete policy examples outside of COVID, outside of social issues of where Bashir has failed and made your life's worse. Bring up things like Cabinet for Health and Family Services is dealing with this child problem. And part of that is because they refuse to partner with religious groups, not showing those Kentucky values. Pointing out that spending millions upon millions of dollars to bring in new businesses doesn't work and doesn't cause growth, especially if people aren't working. Deal, pointing out that we have a workforce participation rate. That is the biggest economic problem facing Kentucky right now, and nobody's talking about it in this campaign yet. I hope during debates we can hear it, but that is the biggest issue that we're facing. How do we get people back to work? How do we get it to where individuals, half of our workforce, is not sitting on their butts? And it's not because jobs aren't open. There's more jobs than there are people looking for them. Don't just say, I'm going to fight the radical left. Show the masses how pervasive this issue is. I understand how pervasive this issue is. I understand that when we have a liberal governor in the office and they support these social things, that they spend millions of our tax dollars on these items. I see it. I've combed through the budgets when I was running for treasurer. I pointed out a lot of these millions of dollars, of tens of millions of dollars of spendings, say we will not have, we will cut every single DEI government-funded job and program. There will no longer be a dollar spent simply because you have the right thing between your legs or the right hue to your skin color. You are not going to get treated special just because of that. Everybody will be treated equally under the Cameron Mills administration. Wow, how powerful that would be. And how much does that point out how pervasive the left has been? And then point out the millions of dollars. Giving money to only minority businesses. Giving money to only uh, the right gender-led businesses. DEI consultants to make government entities more inclusive. We've spent millions on that as a state, as a taxpayer. 
and you can point to that. That is inspiring to those small groups. I'm not, I'm what they're doing. They're both doing it. We're not really talking about their platforms and things that works for the masses. That 100% works for the masses because the average mass doesn't even going to go look at his website. The average person is going to go vote. They've, they've probably already made up their mind. They're going in, they're hitting straight R straight D they're walking out. Or they're going to vote off those TV ads that you run that in 30 seconds you're not going to know a thing about what they're actually going to do in the first place. Or they're going to vote off that piece of mail you sent them and obviously that little piece of card. They're not going to know what you're going to do in the first place. That is how they're going to vote and I get that. That works for the masses being as general. But if you think this is going to be close, which I believe it will be, where it's come down to five, ten thousand 10,000 votes, that's where you're trading in the margins. You're trading with people sort of kind of like me who are pretty well informed, aren't easily bought off. I mean, how many independents do you know? I know a lot of independents and third-party people that are simply independents or third-party because they're disgusted with how much the Republican Party itself seems to say one thing than do another. How are you going to get those people to turn out? How are you going to get them to vote for you? And you're, it's, it's got to be more. you got to give those people. If it's going to be close, if it's not close, you don't got to worry about them. But if it's going to be close, how are you going to inspire those people to turn out? How are you going to give them a reason to vote for you more than just, well, he isn't Bashir? Because to those people that left the Republican Party simply because, and I'm not going to pretend there's a lot of them. There's not. But if it's a close race, those are the people you got to turn out. Those are the people you got to get to vote for Cameron. Those third-party people, too, that have left the party for the same reason. Or those people who feel left behind or, or feel like they're not a, really a part of the Democrats anymore, but they, they don't feel really too comfortable with the Republicans. you got to give them more of a reason than just, well, I'm not Bashir. It's a great reason not to vote for Bashir, but ooh, why is that a good reason to vote for you? All right, Jefferson County Public Schools, their AI issues uh, behind their massive bus debacle are pervasive, and uh, they have quite a track record, the AI company does, of awfulness. We'll have more right after this short break. All right, Jefferson County Public Schools, um, as we all know, they've had this massive problem with these bus routes. In fact, school has been canceled for the last um, about a week or so. Um, elementary and middle school are just coming back online today, in fact. We'll see how well they handled the busing. Um, this episode comes out, obviously, at 1 o'clock. So we'll see how well they handled it uh, come the morning, at least. But, you know, we've talked a lot about this issue, several episodes to talk about it, but we haven't really, we've mentioned in passing that these new routes that were created by this AI system was a, a big part, I guess, of the reason of failure. I mean, the real failure, of course, is JCPS leadership is just trash, is just garbage. But putting that to the side, I mean, they literally fail on everything, but and they know common sense, which we're going to go through here in a second. But putting that to the side, um, out, outside of that, so the the issue here, or part of the issue or background here, is there's this company called Alpha Route, which is this AI system used to route buses. Okay. Now, Alpha Route has quite a storied pass of failing, yet this didn't stop JCPS from spending 
at least if not more than half a million dollars of our money on it. And this despite JCPS being massively underfunded. I've been told many and many a times over the last week or so that JCPS is underfunded. What do we expect? Uh, they just haven't been getting in the money like they're supposed to. This is all down dirty Republicans fault, but yet they have half a million dollars to spend on a company that you could tell off the bat was a gigantic failure. See, Alpha Route rep promises the sky. You see, with less and less bus drivers, schools all over have had to get creative. Now, they've gotten creative in looking at systematic changes as to why suddenly there's so many bus drivers that they're short. Now, has JCPS called for maybe benefit reform and other liberal policies to be reformed that have allowed people to not work to such a degree that everyone has a worker shortage, that workforce participation rate is at all time lows, that in general our workforce participation rate is awful in Kentucky. No, no, of course not. Did JCPS take part in any discussions about workforce participation and how that would help solve their teaching and busing and substitute and all these issues? Nope, nope, don't think they did. Did they put... I don't know, in place new disciplinary actions or policies to make the working environment less awful to bus drivers. Because, you know, you're, you're offering them more and more money. It's not getting the job solved. You look at it and you say, look, outside of doubling this pay, is there any amount of money we can pay at this point to really solve it? No. So that must mean if it's not how much we're paying them, it must be the working environment. What you find when your employer is, is that uh, certain working environments, you can get away with paying less than other working environments because people enjoy it. For an example, if you are a, uh, a restaurant that's slower than another restaurant, you could get away with paying your people less hourly because the work isn't as hard. It's an easier job to do. So maybe instead of trying to up the pay, they say, how can we make this job easier? Could we maybe discipline the kids a little bit better? No, no, no. Well, I mean, now, school board member recently this week here has suggested that just maybe, just possibly, maybe they should start, I don't know, disciplining children more in order to retain drivers. Maybe they've got a acting out on the bus problem. So instead of any of those other items to fix the systematic failures of our society and our schools, um, instead of looking at that, instead they turn to Alpha Route. The computer god who promises to solve all your problems, right? Well, not quite. You see, Alpha Route was hired in Columbus, Ohio. This is before, of course, we hired them to do these routes. And Alpha Route was paid $1.5 million by the Columbus, Ohio public schools, who then fired them six months later. This wasn't the only city they had issues in. They had issues in Cincinnati, Boston. The list goes on and on. And all of this before JCPS has hired them. In fact, JCPS admits they had some mixed reviews. So you already know they have some mixed reviews. So you think you'd be a little more at least cautious if you are going to do business with them. However, shouldn't JCPS have foreseen this? We have a company with these mixed reviews, and then you look at their proposal. This is what Alpha Route's plan was that was accepted by the school board. 
Okay. And they thought this was acceptable. Here you go. Alvarado's plan said there'd be a maximum of half a mile walk to a bus stop for elementary school students and up to a mile walk for middle and high school students. So to put it to you another way, Alfred came and said, we're going to solve your busing problem with this amazing AI tool. And it's only going to require kids at most, if they're young, to walk 10 to 15 minutes and the older kids to walk 20 to 30 minutes to their bus stops. You know, I have a middle school kid. Maybe you have a middle school kid. Would you trust your 6th, 7th, 8th grader to walk in Louisville for 30 minutes? Would you trust any of your children out there alone for 30 minutes walking in Louisville? Of course not. Maybe the school board didn't have a moment of reflection to realize we live in a crime-ridden, cruddy city. Well, that may seem mean to those of you who live in Louisville, so I won't say cruddy city, but we live in a crime-ridden city that is unsafe for children to be walking in for 20 minutes alone at the ages of 11 and 12 years old. Or for you to walk 10 to 15 minutes with your elementary school kids, or some people would put out their fourth and fifth graders to walk those 10 to 15 minutes because maybe they're at work, maybe they couldn't make it, maybe whatever the reason. And they thought this was acceptable. I could have told you you're going to have parent complaints. If, if you'd proposed this to me for five seconds, I, I would have looked at it and said, you're going to have tons of complaints on this and issues. Who's going to want to walk 30 minutes to a bus stop in downtown Louisville? Who's going to want to do that? We've seen kids recently in Louisville getting shot accidentally in drive-bys waiting at bus stops and we're going to send kids to go walk for 20 to 30 minutes on top of maybe waiting for the bus because of course you don't want to cut it too close so we're talking what 40 minutes outside in Louisville waiting for the bus I mean would you want your kid walking that kind of distance I know I want it so despite the storied pass despite the obvious issues with the routes to begin with that anybody could have seen coming, JCPS still decides to buy these routes from Alpha Route for $265,000. Now, here's the other part. Alpha Route also made the routes several months ago. Between then and new children, between then and now, new children and new stops were added. So did Alpha Route decide to rework the routes again? No. No, they just threw them in there. Then to cap all of this off, they once again didn't have the bus drivers practice the routes. The local uh, union president for the bus drivers really sums this up by saying they should have probably started all this a month, month and a half ago. Bring drivers in, having them run the routes, come back and tell them what's not going to work. Well, duh. You have a new routing system from a company that sucks, has a history of sucking at this, with stops requiring children to walk 15, 30 minutes to the bus stop, 30 minutes uh, for the older ones. And then you don't 
test run through it? I mean, what's going through your minds at that point? But of course, what do you hear the schools claiming? Well, not the schools, but what do you hear the liberals claiming? Oh, they're blaming the Republicans for it, as I covered in prior podcasts. It's Republicans' fault for not funding. It's Republicans' fault for pouncing on this epic failure and trying to make politics out of it. We're not trying to make politics out of it. We're pointing out something very simple. You hired a company who has a history of sucking to do a job that then it sucks at under a plan that sucked from the beginning, and then you didn't bother to have the bus drivers practice it. That's not Republicans pouncing. It's Republicans pointing out the obvious that this is a failure of leadership at the schools. Mitch McConnell's Safer Communities Act is destroying many Kentucky school programs. We'll have more on that right after this short break. Now, you may remember that the great establishment king, Mitch McConnell, the kingmaker, the puppeteer who's Political acumen is that to be revered, not questioned. Allowed the Safer Communities Act to pass this year. And I say he allowed it because, of course, he could have filibustered it. What's filibustering? Well, quite simply, it started a very long time ago where uh, in order to stop a bill from passing, they would just continue to discuss on it ad nauseum for long lengths of time to stop it from going to the floor. The minority party would do that where it would stop the bill from coming forward. And this is called a talking filibuster. And you could only choose to end the discussion of a bill if at least 60 of the senators voted yes. Over time, because they realized how much this was just stalling up things, they decided to just move it to a simple vote. You didn't need to stand on the floor and talk about the bill. Just simply put, um, if they didn't have 60 votes to move the bill forward from discussion, well, then they would just go ahead and put uh, the bill to the side and then move forward um, with it. So in the Senate, you need 60 people to say yes to ending the discussion of a bill in order for a bill to come to the floor for a vote. So even a bill only gets 52 yeses, that means there are eight people who said yes on ending the discussion but didn't vote yes on the bill. There's only a few types of bills that don't go through that process, um, but almost all of them do, including the Safer Communities Act. Now, what is the Safer Communities Act? Well, it provided funding for uh, red flag gun laws. For those of you who don't know what red flag gun laws is, that is a uh, legal process where you have your guns taken away from you without being accused of a crime or anything else. So basically, um, your neighbor or a family member can simply say, I, you know, I don't like him having guns. I think he's a threat to himself or others. Call up the police. Uh, they can then take away your guns, and then you have to stand in front of a judge and prove you deserve to have your guns back. Now, it's quite clear how this could be um, absolutely used as a weapon by anti-gun people against pro-gun people, used as a political weapon. And on top of that, it absolutely has a lot of due process issues. I mean, the question becomes, when you're having your guns taken away from you without committing a critical uh, criminal act, uh, 
that becomes a big problem. You do have a constitutional right to own a firearm. And if they're going to take away that constitutional right, like they take away your constitutional right to freedom or other things such as that, well, then you better be accused of a crime, go through a judge and a jury process. Um, red flag gun laws are unique in that you don't have to be accused of a crime. And quite frankly, I don't quite understand how they would be handled process-wise in a way that doesn't violate the Constitution. Because if you're going to take away my rights, take away my guns, I deserve to have a trial in front of a jury of my peers. This is not happening in front of a trial jury. And on top of that, how can you have a trial jury when I'm not being accused of a crime? Certainly doesn't make a lot of sense. But this is a practice that we've seen a lot of liberals, of course, take over is uh, a claim is mental health. It helps deal with mental health. There's certain people that just shouldn't own guns. Maybe they can legally own a gun, but we all know they shouldn't. And so therefore, we should have judges from a bench make a decision over whether or not you get to own guns, even though you haven't committed a crime. I, there's a lot of issues with this. But anyways, red flag gun laws. It also moved all purchases of long guns uh, to be a 10 day waiting period, unless you're 21. So between the ages of 18 to 21, if you want to purchase a long gun, you already can't purchase a handgun until you're 21. But if you want to purchase a long gun, a shotgun, a rifle between the ages of 18 and 21, you, everybody had to go through a 10 day long waiting period, which has left many gun shops in States like Kentucky to the point where they don't sell to people under 21 anymore. Simply put, they just, don't feel like dealing with the hassle, the 10 day waiting period, have to prove the 10 day waiting period and the liability that comes with that. So they'd rather just not ever sell a gun to a person under 21. Extensively, the Safer Communities Act moved gun ownership from 18 to 21 through an administrative check in order to get around the Constitution. Something that's pretty disgusting. Additionally, uh, as well, um, they did a crackdown on gun shows to, in order to make sure that they're doing background checks like they're supposed to. And then finally provided safety funding to the schools. Now, as I described it, most conservatives would certainly have an issue with that bill, but yet several Republican senators voted for it. And at least 10 or so of them voted yes to allowing it to move forward onto the floor for a vote in the first place. But maybe that last bit provide more funding to the schools for safety. You wouldn't find objectionable. I mean, I, Certainly, normally wouldn't either, but it's that last bit that's providing the ways that the Biden administration has been able to crack down on funding to hunting and archery programs in other states and in Kentucky. You see, uh, they are, quote unquote, misinterpreting it. That's what the Republicans are claiming that voted for the bill. I mean, big surprise, shocker. You gave the Democrats more power over gun control. You gave them more power over our constitutional rights. You gave them more power to be able to attack our hunting, our fishing, our archery, and they're using it in order to not fund those programs. And now Republicans are shocked by it. You know, what I said at the beginning about how Mitch McConnell is a great political expert and a, and a massive great puppeteer. Maybe he was, but clearly he's missed a few steps or two because he's the one who gave this weapon to the Democrats in the first place. And now you have kids all across the country and Kentucky looking at not being able to continue their archery programs. Now, when the leaders pushing back against this is actually uh, a eighth grader named Kimber Collins from Letcher County. 
Now, she's a fairly accomplished archer who just recently won a $1,750 scholarship for taking first place at the International Bow Hunting Organization's World Championships, Archery Championships. She's really kind of pushing the way, leading the way uh, a little bit there nationally on this topic. Now, she says she's trying to stay out of the politics of it, of course, but she just wants to be able to shoot her bow. Seems reasonable. But, of course, that's not what the Biden administration wants to do. And apparently that's not what McConnell wants to do. The claims are, of course, that that uh, Biden, all these Bs, Biden, is just misinterpreting it, but you wonder if it was done on purpose. And you also wonder, why would McConnell have ever supported this bill in the first place? I mean, isn't he actually a conservative? Well, I, no, not really. This goes into McConnell thinking he's smarter than he is. This goes into McConnell having missed a step. This goes into McConnell's getting old and politically isn't as skilled as he used to be. Because he doesn't actually care about the Second Amendment clearly. If he did, well, this never would have passed. The, the, the Second Amendment was always to Mitch McConnell a issue to create a political smokescreen in order to be a convenient uh, uh, pawn in a scheme to say, well, you don't want to vote for the liberals, they'll take away your guns. That's what it's been to McConnell, but now he was worried it was becoming a political liability. Remember earlier when I talked about how when Black Lives Matter was on the rise, you saw several establishment Republicans put their fingers to the wind and they jumped on board with putting in place things like this commission on race and access to equal opportunity and tearing down statues in order to see that as an opportunity maybe to seize some votes. In much the same way, McConnell felt that at the time, with how much attention all the school shootings were getting, that this might be a good opportunity for Republicans who had an upcoming elections, the midterms, it has been a good time for him to get a bill passed, a bipartisan bill to show that Republicans are easier on the issues. Maybe it would help build that red wave. That's what he thought. Now, I personally believe things that are constitutional rights should never be treated in that way, but that's not what McConnell thought. McConnell decided that this was a good decision for him. And of course, it's conjecture. I'm not, I'm, you know, we, I'm watching his movements. I've, I've paid attention to what he does politically. And so he decided that passing something like this would be better for them in the midterms. Actually, it turned out to be pretty bad for him, I think. See, at the time when this was passing, and clearly that indicated to me why, I pointed out that this would actually be worse for Republicans in the midterms because it would decompress the vote. It would cause people to not be excited to turn out and vote. See, McConnell felt the Republican viewpoint the Second Amendment was becoming problematic and he's wanted to pick up votes because he thought that the liberals would just abandon the Democrat Party, not realizing that once a person is a D, they are probably going to vote D. There's not very many swing voter Ds unless they're in rural areas, and those people already care about guns. Gun issues is one thing they do care about. They're not on the side of gun control. Those marching, demanding gun bans and, and assault rifle bans, they're not Republicans. They're just not. There's very few Republicans that are. When you look at polling data, you see that 80 90% of Republicans are against any kind of gun control.
Well, not any kind, but they're against more gun control than what we have. But for some reason, McConnell thought this might be a good chance to pick up some people who would otherwise vote D, a misguided attempt that just eroded our constitutional rights and then at the same time backfired to the exact opposite. A red wave was smaller. Why? Because, well, if I'm a Republican and I hate Democrats, why am I excited to turn out for a Democrat light? Of course, nobody would. I wouldn't. You don't want to either. I guess that's an overall arching theme with my first segment and this last one. Is that stop being meek Republicans. It's not exciting to vote for. The person who has the best chance and who has seriously won in elections in this country has been Trump. And the reason why is because he's inspiring people, gets them to turn out. And we see these establishment people lamenting Trump and his existence, but at the same time, not recognizing that being inspiring to people, giving them solutions, making them feel like you understand them and they want to turn out and vote for you. They're excited to turn out and vote for you. That's how you get it done. But that's not, fortunately, what we're seeing. Well, y'all, that's what we have time for today on the Andrew Cooperwriter Show. Thank you all so, so much for joining us. Have a great rest of your day.